I'm going to read to you now our passage for this morning. This morning, um, we are still in Hebrews, but we are now entering chapter 3. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read the first uh, six verses there, and then Pastor Mike is going to come up and, and teach us some things that God has revealed to him this week about this passage. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. We are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Amen. Thank you, Tom, for that reading. Good morning. This is a beautiful passage. Uh, The theologian Karl Barth, he once uh, mentioned that uh, the proper attitude of a preacher is embarrassment. Really, it's embarrassment because a preacher knows that uh, he's not going to be able to do what he wants to do in the time that he has. I especially feel that uh, this morning as, as, I, as I look at this passage because this, this passage is everything you would ever want in a scripture passage. It is really a full, full four-course meal. I don't know if you've ever been to like a really fancy restaurant and you pay a lot of money and they just give you all the food you'd ever want in the perfect pairings and the perfect uh, sizes. That is exactly what this passage is. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to begin with a little appetizer of some heartfelt encouragement. That's what we're going to see right away. And then we're going to get into some deep theology. Those of you who like that stuff, you're going to get some of that for some of your main course. We'll get into some practical illustration and then some immediate application. So Let's get right into it, and, uh, and I'm just going to try to be like a server. I'm just going to be here, and, and, and the chef is in the back. The chef has made the food. I'm just going to come, and I, I'm just going to try to describe it to you. I'm going to try to show it to you. I'm just going to try not to drop it, and as long as I do that, you're going to get a full four-course meal this morning, so I hope you are hungry. Church, are you hungry for God's word? All right, good. So let's get into it. Hebrews uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he begins with some heartfelt encouragement. Kids, that's your first fill in the blank. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. For the first time in Hebrews, our preacher addresses his congregation directly. Remember the way that uh, the preacher started his sermon in Hebrews 1 verse 1. Pastor Tom read it this morning. It's, he started long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. 
And so he begins his sermon like at, at 10,000 feet at the top of the mountain and, and he's going at 100 miles an hour. He starts with God and he brought us to the top of the gospel mountain and we have just spent the last month taking in the majesty of God. The preacher, he, he began by magnifying Jesus in a pretty big way. And now after two full chapters in the book, the preacher stops and he makes eye contact with his congregation because he started way up here. So he just stops and he takes a breath and he's going to look you right in the eyes and he's going to give us some heartfelt encouragement. In chapter three, verse one, he starts, what's that first word? You see it? Therefore. Based on everything he said previously, based on the fact that God is always speaking, based on the fact that God is better than angels, based on the fact that God is the anchor of our salvation, based on the fact that we do tend to drift if we're not careful. So therefore, based on all that we have learned, therefore, since God is speaking, that's why we've got a phone as our image of this series, God is speaking to us. God is better, is at the background of everything that's happening. But therefore, because of all of this, holy brothers and sisters... Look how warmly he addresses them. Family, compadres, band of brothers, amigos, companions, partners, BFFs, beloved ones, not just the ladies, not just the men, all of you holy people, you little recipient of God's grace. You called out ones. I know you don't feel that way. I know you don't look it. I know you sometimes don't believe it. But you are special. You are family in the eyes of God. As followers of Jesus, he wants us to remember we are sharers in his God's salvation. We are participants in the greatest story ever told. God is at work right now in this place, in your life today. The preacher is reminding them, you are made pure by Christ. You are holy. God's love is lavish on you. You are a new creation. Your dignity comes from the one who is divine. The preacher knows these people, they just need a little gospel. And don't you? They need some good news, don't you? I know I do. And he isn't done describing us in light of the gospel. In Hebrews 3.1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling. Sure, you started out as tiny as a peanut way back in the day. And then you had diapers on. And then you had to learn to walk and then you made a million mistakes. But at the same time, you exist because the God of heaven chose that you would live right now. You have a name because God gave you a name and that God formed you in his likeness, in his image. So your calling as a Christian is from heaven to heaven. Your calling, which is from God, really pushes you towards God. You who feel so isolated, you who are so alone, you who are so disheartened, your living room is God's living room. 
You have the backstage pass. You don't need to set up an appointment with God. You can come in anytime. And God doesn't just speak, but he, he calls. And God has called you, is what the preacher is saying. If you follow Jesus, then you've got a number in your soul somewhere, and God has the direct line. God can text you 24-7. He can communicate with you. God uses your heart as his speaker. It's like a speakerphone for God. You are not just a tally. You are not just a statistic. You are not just a percentage or a number, which is all that we hear about these days. Believer, you are a sharer in the life of God. True story. On March 10th, 1904, the great escape artist Houdini was challenged to a contest. The showman was dared to escape from a complex form of handcuffs with tons of locks on each side. It was locks everywhere, and it was going to be difficult to, to get out. So the performer, he took the challenge with thousands gathered in London to see if he could escape from these shackles. Having been handcuffed securely, Houdini ducked down into a box, had to get in this big box, to struggle out of sight of the crowd. And after about 20 minutes, the entertainer popped uh, back out uh, out of the box and the people roared their, their approval, but suddenly they stopped clapping as they realized the cuffs were still in place. So Houdini smiled and he asked for more light. And then he went back down into the box. And then 15 minutes later, it, once again, the escape artist appeared. And again, the crowd cheered enthusiastically and Houdini smiled and saying that he just needed to flex his knees. So down he went again. And after about 20 more minutes, he came up again and he t took a pocket knife from his vest and he was holding it in his teeth. Houdini slashed his coat to ribbons somehow, freeing himself of the hot and heavy garment. And then he jumped back into the box and the crowd continued to cheer him on. And then this last time, he only stayed in the box for about 10 minutes. And then he, he, he emerged a free man holding the cuffs in his hands. The onlookers gave an extended ovation for this master of escape. They couldn't believe it. How'd he do this sort of thing? And later, a reporter asked Houdini why he kept com coming out of the box. Like, why did you keep popping out of the box when you were not yet free? And Houdini replied that he needed to hear the encouragement of the people in order to keep going. And aren't we the same? Those of us who live in Christian community, we struggle with our own shackles, don't we? Often we're in dark solitude and, and we're often experiencing discouragement and confusion and fatigue and conflict. And I've talked with some of you this week. Some of us are feeling that way. And when we come out of our aloneness into the light of Christian fellowship, we need to experience the applause and the encouragement from others in the body of Christ. That's why we're here. Sometimes we're in the box shackled and we need to come out and just look at our brothers and sisters and we need to hear them say, keep going. I see what you're doing. You can do it. This is what the preacher is doing to us in Hebrews chapter 3. He's starting chapter 3 with a heavy dose of applause and heavy heartfelt encouragement. He's like, I know you're in the box, but I'm here and I'm watching and I believe in what, what God is doing. So the preacher, he, he turns to them after kind of soaring high and he looks them straight in the eyes and he's looking at you and he reminds them who they are to Jesus. 
And at this point, I imagine him going to a whisper as he continues. He whispers to them in Hebrews 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus for just a second. I know life is busy. I know you are so hurried. I know you are so rushed. I know you are so tangled. I know you are so conflicted. But just stop. Stop for a second. Listen. Meditate. Think. Feel. Consider. Jesus, Jesus should be like a magnet to your mind. He should be like a sponge to your soul. Don't just give Jesus a detached glance, but give him a focused, concentrated look. Don't blink. Don't look away. Don't doze off. Study him. See him. Stay with him. Look at him. Listen to him. Watch him. Sit at his feet. Welcome him in. Bracket off some time in that schedule. You cannot, church, you cannot see the beauty of the country if you never get off the interstate. Intimacy cannot be rushed. You cannot dash into God's presence and choke down spiritual truth on your way to your 12 o'clock appointment. No, there's no such thing as a drive-through in spirituality. Consideration takes time. It involves some small bites. If you're at a fancy restaurant, then you progress slowly. You're you're savoring and you're smelling and you're chewing and you're looking and you're 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 just there and you're not you're not trying to get out of there. Those who hurry in, they hurry out. And where is the enjoyment of that? I have found for me personally, it takes me about six hours to really get what's happening in the text. For me, it's usually about six hours in as I'm looking at the text and I'm studying it and I'm meditating on it. Eventually, I cannot sit down anymore and I emerge from my office and I just start running down the hallway and my, 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 the staff members are just making fun of me because I'm like, there it is, that's the gospel. It usually takes me about six hours. Now I know y'all are smarter than me and I'm slow, so maybe it only takes you two hours. Maybe it only takes you three hours, but you, you're not going to get it just from a detached glance. Sit with it. Spend some time with it. Let it sink into you. And then eventually you're like, whoa, look what God is saying to me. Sometimes we're told to consider just the lilies, right? Consider the lilies or consider the the ravens, the birds in the sky, because those simple creations show us God's care. Look at it. Think what God is doing in that flower. Think what he's doing in that bird. But imagine what you see when you consider Jesus. You see and you draw near to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's going to take some time to just receive it. Those two words may as well sum up this entire book. Consider Jesus. Especially if you are limping, look to Jesus. Especially if your muscles aren't so strong, lean on Jesus. Even if you stammer as you speak, soak up Jesus. Whatever your spiritual need is, I promise Jesus can handle it. Jesus can fix it. Church, how is that for some heartfelt encouragement, right? Isn't that a beautiful appetizer? It's all just right there. Then the preacher, he follows up his encouragement, that little appetizer, with some deep theology. Now we get into some of the main course of the meal. 
Look at Hebrews in your Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. You're probably looking at your phones. Verse 1, I'll read through 3 and then verse 5. Here's some deep theology for you thinkers out there. It says Jesus, the end of verse 3, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession who is faithful just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now Moses was faithful, verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now I wish you could understand how scandalous this comparison is. Jesus is better than Moses, what? Jesus is better than Moses? I hate to use this analogy. I absolutely hate it. I already regret it, but I have to because I'm in Massachusetts. But I must. Moses is the Tom Brady of the Old Testament. It is almost impossible to exaggerate the importance of Moses to the Jews. Moses ain't perfect by any means. I mean, he did murder a guy that one time. You remember that? Because he's got a temper like you've never seen. But he somehow always found a way to win, didn't he? Just like Tom. By the way, how does Tom Brady throw three interceptions in a championship game against the Packers and still get to the Super Bowl? Lord, forgive me of my bitterness. I'm getting off track. That's kind of how Moses was, though. He just found a way to win. Moses has the rings. Moses is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. A Jew would say, how dare you say that about Moses? And a Christian would be like, what are you, what are you saying about Jesus? Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son? That's like saying Moses can't compete. That's like saying Moses is a second string level compared to Jesus. Them is fighting words. It wouldn't take, it would really take me an entire sermon to, to kind of show you how radical this is. I wish I had the time to do it. I actually thought about having Moses show up this morning. I uh, gave him a call. We've had guests biblical preachers here before. Some of you have, have seen them. From time to time, they'll show up. I called Moses, but uh, he, he said he couldn't make it because of all the COVID restrictions and stuff, you know? And apparently, Moses likes his comfort. He didn't want to sit that long in a mask. He's like, Mike, I don't want to do that. And uh, he'd rather watch the service from his couch. So uh, I guess even in Israel, slippers are more comfy than boots. So that, that's where Moses is at. But Moses did say he'll probably want to show up in, in, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in the hall of faith, since he's literally in the hall of faith. He, maybe, maybe then you'll hear more of his story. Maybe he'll show up. So I look forward to that. But here in Hebrews 3, there, there is some deep, deep theology about Jesus here. This is Christology 101. Everyone say Christology. That's just a big fancy word for the study of Jesus that technically falls under what some scholars call systematic theology, taking in what, what, what the Bible says about Jesus. But the preacher here combines systematic theology with another field of theology called biblical theology, which is all about showing how all of scripture is one story. And so in this one paragraph, the preacher is doing both. The preacher systematically shows how Jesus is better 
by comparing Jesus to their favorite Old Testament superstar. It's masterful work, and these words would have shocked the listeners. I was saying, I can't believe what you're saying, because Moses was, after all, he was defended by God himself. When people mess with Moses, God stepped in, and he, he, he let him have some words. This all harkens back to Numbers chapters 11 through 12, when no one was liking Moses. Remember, they were out in the wilderness, and it was hot, and they didn't have enough water to fill their jugs, so they're all grumbling against Moses. No one's liking Moses' leadership. And then after that, even Moses' brothers and sister uh, challenge him. Remember that? It's like some sibling rivalry. You've got Miriam and, and Aaron. They don't like who Moses chose to marry. And so they're upset with him. So they speak against him in Numbers 12, 1 to 2. They're like, Moses, you married down, bro. Why'd you marry her? She, she ain't good enough for you. And the verse says, as they're grumbling against Moses, and the Lord heard it. Everyone's grumbling, and it's like the Lord's like, what, what was that? What'd you just say to, what'd you just say to Moses? What'd you just say to, to, to this man, excuse me? Numbers 12.3 goes like this. It says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Moses was not an upfront kind of guy. He didn't like the spotlight. He was just trying to do what was right. And it says, Numbers 12.4 And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, those are his brother and sister, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. God's like, come here you two. You who, you have, you know, that to say against him. I got something to tell you. And so then they gulp hard. And then God says this to them, Numbers 12, 6 to 9, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the angel of the Lord was kindled against them, and they departed. This was not a good day for Aaron and Miriam. Pretty sure that's God's way of saying, you mess with Moses and you mess with me. Don't, don't do this to the leader that I have set up. That, that means Moses is a pretty big deal. But this is where the congregation gets all perplexed in the pews because the updated message of Hebrews is that Moses pales in comparison to Jesus. Moses received the law, but Jesus wrote the law. Moses is in the community, but Christ is over the community. Moses got oil on his head, but Jesus got the Holy Spirit during baptism. Moses spoke face to face with God. Jesus is the mouthpiece of God. Moses was a man. Christ is the God man. Moses was a sinner. Christ conquered sin. Moses led the children out of Egypt, but Jesus leads us all the way into the promised land of heaven. So that's who Jesus is. So the preacher wants to make sure your theology is up to code. Before you get all impressed about Joe Schmo and Brady Schmady and Moses Plosis, Remember who is superior overall. Deep theology equals Jesus is number one. Sometimes the deepest truths are really the most basic ones. And, all, and I could say more, but if I do, the food's going to fall all off the plate and I'm going to make a mess. So let's move on to our third course. 
The first course was heartfelt encouragement. The second course was deep theology. The third course is practical application. We get the, the first lines, the first few bites of that in Hebrews chapter 3. Look at your phones or in your Bibles, verses 3 to 4. It says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Instead of using big fancy language like the theologians like to do in, the, in academia, the preacher goes, just think of it like a house. You've seen a house before. Some of you live in a house. Some of you are going to have snow falling on your house or your apartment pretty soon. You know, here's the truth. God is the builder of spiritual houses. Not the preachers, not the leaders, but God is the builder. Whenever you see spiritual life, you know God has been up to something, building something. In 1 Corinthians 3, the apostle says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is the one who makes it grow. Neither the one who plants or waters deserves the glory, but only God who does it all. So if your spirituality is weak, and we are weak, church, if your spirituality is rusty or it's dated, or maybe you just need a little bit of a pick-me-up, then the good news is we all know someone who is employed and capable to problem-solve that stuff full-time. Jesus builds spiritual houses. The preacher is going to stay with this illustration of Jesus as builder for a little while, so just prepare yourselves for leftovers in the weeks to come. Here's a little picture of, of how you can think of it. As we get to these themes throughout the book, it's like you're looking, it's like Jesus is better and God is speaking. Every time you get to a theme, it's like hitting on a little app. And then you're just like, you, you open up that app and then pretty soon there's this theme and you're in that world for a little bit. That's what happens in Hebrews. This is the theme that we're in right now. It's like we just push the app button of the builder app. And now for the next few weeks, it's like God is the builder. Don't put pressure on yourself to do it. God is building the church. He's building your community. He's building your life. God is the builder. So then this illustration, once he goes in, it takes a surprising turn when we're told in Hebrews 3 verse 6, we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This illustration is actually a picture of you and me as believers in Christ, as we are. And sometimes even when we're still in the box, it feels like we've got the shackles on. Christ builds us and then God moves into us. The life of God exists within the souls of humans. And we're just supposed to be like, wow, whoa, wait a second. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, we are the temple of the living God. If you're a follower of Jesus, 1 Peter 2.5 says, we ourselves are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So in this meal, the preacher is not only serving us the truth about Jesus, he's also serving us some truth about Jesus' people. We are the very house of God, Holden Chapel. That's true of us. We are governed by him, we are sheltered by him, we are protected by him, and by him I mean Jesus the Son. 
The God who builds us is going to be the God who resides in us. And that's going to be the same God who, 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 who is working in us and restoring in us and, and carrying us to the end. With God as our foundation, we're never really going to be blown away because he's just building away. This builder illustration, it's not random, it's not accidental, it's not a throwaway line. Don't leave this item on the side. It means you have purpose. Life isn't all about what the world says it is. You don't have to pressure yourself with being the best version of what the world wants you to be. As a Christian, your entire existence is literally motored by Jesus because he's building you and, 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 and you exist to bring glory to Jesus and you are the house that God is building. So he just wants you to say, it's just like you're, it's like you're a house. God's building you. God's building us. And last but not least in the dessert round, the preacher concludes with immediate application. This is the last part, and it's delicious. We see it in the last part of Hebrews 3, verse 6. It says this, we are his house. I think we've got this on a slide, Tom. We are his house. Yep. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's a beautiful dessert right there. Let's not get bogged down in theological disputes, because if we do that, we're going to ruin the cake. It's better just to enjoy dessert than it is to analyze dessert. But if you want to go down the analytical route, I'll be happy to do that with you sometime later this week. Set up an appointment. We can do that. But this verse isn't about the question of once saved, always saved. That's not what this is about. Don't get distracted. Don't cherry pick it out of its context. That's not the point of this passage. The assumption of the preacher is that these people, these holy called out brothers and sisters, they are in fact saved. Of course they are. Clearly they are saved. Everything in Hebrews before and after this cues us into that. The preacher isn't worried about their salvation status, but he does want them to remember that where there is salvation, there is also confidence and hope. Let me say that one more time. Where there is salvation, there will be confidence and hope. If you don't have confidence and hope, you might have forgotten about your Savior. You might have been watching a little bit too much of the news this week. You might be a little bit distracted. I might be a little bit distracted. Last week, we're told not to drift. And this week, we're told to hold fast or hold tight. It's the constant application. Don't lose that confidence, church. Keep your eyes on your hope. Keep it there. Keep talking the talk and keep walking the walk. Don't stop now. The battle rages on and the Lord is continuing to work. The Lord is continuing to work in the battle of our lives. It's actually said that Napoleon, who's probably the military history's greatest conqueror, used to have his generals come into his tent right before a battle. And right before the battle was about to begin, he'd ask his generals to come in and he would just look them straight in the eyes. And he'd just spend a minute and he'd just say, look at me, let me look at you. Because when you see your leader, you remember not just your strength, but you remember who you are fighting for. Let's remember, courage comes from seeing. Sometimes on those, on those battlefields, the hearts of the soldiers, they've been cheered by the sight of their flag and they can still see their flag waving still as the battle is going on. In that sense, God's character is the flag that never stops waving during our battles. 
So we just need to see God. We need to come into his tent and we just need to see him and remember who we're fighting for. Because when we behold the face of Christ, our faith is renewed and our resolve is increased because we see that brow that once was crowned with those thorns now adorns the majestic crown of victory. So if we fix our eyes on Jesus, then we will see him. We will find strength for the battles that we face this week. It's an it's a immediate application. Like this is what you got to do in order to get to the next place. So he's just basically saying Jesus is better. So just consider that this week, church. Consider the fact that Jesus is better. And then when Satan levels his accusing finger at you saying, you are a great sinner, you can then turn on him and say, yeah, that's true. I am a great sinner, but I've got a better savior. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this full, full, four-course meal. God, you've given us so much in these just few lines. There's even more that we could have said, but we just didn't have enough time. God, you've given us heartfelt encouragement. You've given us deep theology. You've given us practical illustration, and you've given us immediate application. And God, this is exactly what we'd want in Scripture. And so I pray that this week, God, as we as we are down in the box, as we're trying to figure out how to take these shackles off, Jesus, you will continue to give us your applause, give us your encouragement, help us to see you, help us to stop for just long enough, and maybe it's not six hours, but maybe it's four, maybe it's three, maybe it's two, maybe it's at least 10 minutes where we can just stop and look at your beautiful word and just take it in so that we can begin to worship and our faith can be renewed and our souls can be restored and the purpose of our lives can be clarified so that we can serve you with all that we have. Jesus, we know we can't do this on our own. We can't muster it up on our own. God, we know you've got the key to take off all those shackles. And so we want to give our lives to you. We want to be reminded of your truth. We want to thank you for your words. So continue to be with my friends here, my brothers and sisters. Help them to get into God's word this week and continue to see all that you want us to to see. Help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.